scripture reading tonight will be from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue your knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in these for in, in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you, and I'm very grateful for everyone's presence tonight. We have a very fine audience. We're very grateful for it. And uh, thank you, John, for our announcements and for these prayers and scripture reading and, and for this fine singing we've had tonight. We're all very grateful. Thank you, Stan, for giving us that direction and leadership in that matter. As you see before you, I want to talk about the sure way uh, to heaven. And I selected as a passage for study, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 is a great passage of Scripture for a number of reasons. It was Diogenes, who was an ancient cynic, who would go along down the streets during the middle of the day with a lantern looking for an honest man. You see, he was a cynic. The cynic was the kind of person who said, I am not sure I can know anything. If I did, I'm not sure I could tell it. If I told it, I'm not sure that anyone could understand it. Well, that's Diogenes. That's a kind of self-contradictory position that the cynic was in. He was in the position of saying, I just don't know anything. Even though he was sure of that, which would be self-contradictory, still, he was confident he couldn't know anything. I think in many respects our culture is somewhat like the cynic. It's very relativistic. One characteristic of our day and time is the idea of subjectivism, whatever you believe is right. And we can never really know that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. It's all just relative, you see. It's whatever you want to believe. That's what's right for you. Relativism, subjectivism, a type of modern-day cynicism. But I'm very thankful that I have Second Peter because I can go to Second Peter and I can come away with confidence knowing that there is a sure way to heaven. I don't have to be the cynic. I don't have to just wonder whether heaven is a real place or whether I'm going to be able to be there and enjoy the blessings of heaven. The Holy Spirit gave such confident information that I can come away with the hope of having eternal life. In fact, that's what the book of First Peter is about. It's all about hope and having confidence in the promises of God, especially during a time of suffering and difficulty. The church was being persecuted, 
and persecuted severely by this point in time in the first century. But yet Second Peter comes along by inspiration. And Peter says, now you can have hope in eternal life. For every child of God, it means a great deal to us to have that hope. But then Second Peter comes along and tells us, tells us about knowledge. We can have knowledge. We can know with certainty that there is a great God above, that He sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might have forgiveness of sin, and that we can know that we have eternal life and that we can enjoy eternal life over there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 14, we did not read that tonight, but there Peter makes pretty clear that he doesn't have long before he'll go into the other world, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So he knows that it's not going to be very long. And so it's very important that he tells them, I want you to know, I want you to be sure, I want you to have confidence. This, to me, is one of the great aspects about the Bible. There are many important aspects about it, more than we could mention, more than we could study tonight. But one of the great aspects about the Bible is we can know the great mind of God, and we can know, because of the Bible, God's will for our lives and what He wants us to do and what He does not want us to do. And we don't have to be filled with doubt. We can have full assurance and confident hope that we're going to receive the life which God has in store for each one of us. We can know where we stand. I can know where I stand with regard to God my Father. I can know where I stand with regard to my Savior Jesus Christ. I can know where I stand with regard to the matter of salvation and my forgiveness of sin. There is a sure way to heaven. And I don't have to live with any of the doubt that floods the mind of our modern age and our modern day. For after all, just as Peter was considering the matter, you and I will have to consider the matter carefully as we will shuffle off this mortal coil and that we will leave this life and go into the other. And I don't have to be filled with fear and I don't have to be filled with doubt because I know there's a sure way to heaven. And I want to study that with you tonight. I want to study about the sure way and that you can have confidence and you can have hope that you're going to heaven upon the day of departure from this physical walk of life. God tells us that he's given us the provision, everything that we need. Now, this is an important point. This is his point beginning in the chapter, and I'll begin in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you catch the reading of that? I read for you Second Peter chapter 1, and I went to verse 3. And he's given us all things. That's the provision which God has given. He's given everything to me that I need for life and godliness for living life acceptably here, and for the kind of piety that he expects me to have. That's a great word. We don't use it much. Uh, piety means a spiritual godlikeness, to be more like him. And I've got the information that I need to be more like him. Not that I'm ever going to be God, and not that I'm ever going to be perfect, because I know I won't be, 
but I can acquire some of those qualities, some of those characteristics in my life. And God's given me the provision. He's given me the help to do that. And that's Peter's point. We can know that there's a sure way to heaven because God's given us proper provision. Now, He's not just left us out here. He's given all that we need. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Nothing's been left out. Everything has been given. So if I want to know what to do in this particular life, whether I should do this or not do that, God's made provision for that. He's explained it to me in His Word. If I'm not sure about a particular matter, God's explained the matter. I may not know exactly where it is in the Bible, but by my searching, I can learn and I can find it, what God wants me to do or what God does not want me to do. Why? Because God has given me the provision that I need to understand His divine mind. And what a blessing that is, that I have before me tonight the ancient Word of God which he conveyed to specially chosen individuals by inspiration. And in doing that, they wrote that down. Inspiration guarantees the accuracy of what they wrote. Revelation is the content of what they wrote, but inspiration guarantees that what they wrote down is exactly what God wanted. And as they wrote it down, now it's come through time. God's wonderful providence has brought it to us tonight. And I'm reading it. I have it in a very convenient volume And I'm reading it in a language that I understand. It's been translated in my own language so that I can understand it. And when I read that, I'm reading that God has given me everything I need. The provision has been made for my sure way to heaven. 2 Peter chapter 1 and the verses, verse 3. And he continues with this discussion. But you know what happened? Do you know what happened? There was a guy one time. Let me tell you the story about him. There was a guy one time in upstate New York said that angels gave him some golden plates. He found them. And on these golden plates was written an angelic language. But yet he was able to translate this angelic language into modern language. And he told everybody, this is a message from heaven. And in turn, all of this was for man's benefit. And they tried to elevate this particular translation from these supposed golden plates, from these supposed angels angels, to the same level as the Word of God. And they tried to say, this is another Bible that you ought to go to and that you ought to read and you ought to study. Members of the church, faithful members of the church of the Lord will not follow such direction because we know that God's provided everything that we need. Everything that we need has been granted to us, all things pertaining to life and godliness, and I don't need any kind of so-called latter-day revelation. Sometimes people will get together, and they'll have a conference, and the result of that conference, they'll say, now this is what you're supposed to believe right here. You believe this particular matter. Faithful members of the church of the Lord, do not follow that kind of idea Because we know that God has given us everything that pertains unto life and godliness, and we do not need any further revelation from God. God's given the provision for the sure way to heaven. And you can keep your latter-day revelations. All I need is the inspired Word of God. 
Somebody says, well, it says the same thing that the Word of God says. Well, if it says the same thing, then I don't need it. Because all I've got is the Word of God, and that's all I need to have. God's made the provision for the sure way to heaven. Somebody says, well, that's giving you additional information. Information the Word of God doesn't have. Then I don't need it. If you add to or take away anything from the Word of God, then let that person be accursed. Revelation 22, 17, and 18. That we should not change one element of the Word of God. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. When the Lord was on this earth, He was giving encouragement to the apostles. As they were filled with uh, sadness over the knowledge of His departure. And He tells them in an encouraging way, I'm going to give you, the apostles, a helper. And notice how He frames it in John 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, did you catch that? When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you. He's going to teach you some of the things that you need to know. No, didn't say some of the things that you need to know. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes... I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to teach you most of the things that you need to know. No, He didn't say He's going to give them most of the things that they need to know. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to, He's going to give you all things that you need to know pertaining to life and godliness. John chapter 14 and verse 26. If the apostles have revelation of all things that we need to know, then I'm going to have a problem with any kind of latter-day revelation or any kind of conference whereby men try to get together by popular vote and tell us what to believe. The reason I take that view is because God's given all provision for the sure way to heaven. I don't need to know any more than what God has given me. Any additional information would be beyond the Word of God. This may be the one thing that separates the body of Christ from the denominational world. The denominational world wants to add to the Bible. The denominational world wants to say, here, take this book. Here, take that book. Study this one in conjunction with the Bible. Or take this book in conjunction with what the Bible's already said. Or it'll tell you more. But the people of God say, no, sir. We have all we need in this book right here. It's the provision for the sure way to heaven. Now notice how he puts it in this particular matter. By which, verse 4, he, um, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. You see, I'm back in Second Peter 1. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, because of this, we can become more like him in character. As I said before, we're never going to be God. We're never going to be perfect. We're just the creation of God and sinful creatures at that by our own choosing and our own desire. But we can be more like him as we try to grow and develop as God would have us to be, because we have the provision. And because we have the provision, 
we can escape from the corruption that is in the world. Now, the word escape there is a good word. I'm reading out of Second Peter chapter 1. And I'm studying with you in verse 4. Escape. When you escape from something, you've recognized the danger of it, and you're trying to get away from it. Here's a way of escape. There is danger in the corruption that is in this world because of the sinful desire. The corruption that is in this world, the rottenness of this world, the sin and the desire and the temptation to sin in this world will cause us to experience spiritual death and eternal condemnation. But you can escape that danger. And so he uses that kind of metaphor to escape. Why? How can we escape? Because of the provision that God has given us. But the lesson that Peter wants to give us doesn't stop there. The sure way to heaven not only has proper provision, but it also talks about purging. And purging, without that, there would be no heaven for the home of the soul. Now I'd like to jump on down in the text and look at about verse 9. For there he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. For you and I to be cleansed, from our former sins simply is reference to the purging, the cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, now, when a person forgets these matters, they begin to develop a spiritual myopia. They have a problem of looking at the long distance. And in turn, spiritually speaking, they've forgotten they've been cleansed from their sins. Uh, Christ has cleansed them. They have been forgiven of sin by the blood of Christ. And here's the purging. Now, we'd have the provision. But we also have the purging from sin, which must be a part of our lives, and God has made possible for us. Well, I think about this matter. I think I'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 surely talks about the wonderful provision which God has made to purge us from our sins. Now, I'll just start with verse 1 of Hebrews 1. But I really want to work down into verse 3. And then when I get there, you'll see the point. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed there of all things, through whom also he created the world. What a great thought. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, well, what happened there? Christ has made purification. Sins have been purged. And in turn, sins have been forgiven. While I'm in this great book of the Bible, I turn to chapter 2. And I look at verse 9 as he talks about the matter once again. But we see him who is for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God... He might taste death for everyone. And so he's telling us because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, there in turn we can be forgiven of our sins and our, our sins purged. Jesus came to earth, identified himself as a human being, led up to a lonely hill called Golgotha by... Uh, the people of the day, the Jews, Calvary by the Romans, 
and there was brutalized and murdered on that cross, shedding his blood for the sins of mankind. And every individual, though every individual will not accept the grace of God by obedient faith, every individual has available for them and to them the purging of sin. Now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'd like to read verse 18 and verse 19. And let us see something of the significance of this matter of being purged from sin. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 18, he says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We've been purged by the precious blood of Christ. Well, what makes the blood of Christ so precious? He's the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, but the precious blood of Christ would make atonement for sin so that sins could be purged and people could have their sins forgiven. And I tell you what I think about it, if I can speak of it without uh, being too emotional, as it is an emotional thing for me, an emotional subject for me. But I think about it every time I take that bread and take that cup, which we did today. This was the body of Jesus Christ, and that God promised in the long ago that he would send his son into the world. And Old Testament prophets prophesied about it, and God made it happen, whereby the son came lived and walked among us as a man, suffered and died, and was raised from the dead to go back to God the Father. And when I take that cup, I think about that blood, the purging for my sins, and I say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins. We have been purged by this blood, and this fruit of the vine, which I'm taking, represents that blood, and it brings to my mind how God has forgiven. This Bible writer says, ransomed, the ransom has been paid. There's a sure way to heaven, brethren, and it's by the purging of sin, by the blood of Jesus Christ, that God has made that proper. Sometimes I get choked up when I see someone baptized into Christ. You know how much courage that takes. And I see someone baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, especially a young person, how much courage it must take. And they come down the aisle and they confess their faith and they're baptized into Christ. They, of course, don't have to do that during a worship service. They could do that any time of the day or night. The door to God's heart is always open if we'll repent. And that person is taken under the water and brought up out of the water. Romans chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creation. Look at what God does there. God washes away sin, purged from sin. At the moment that person's immersed in water, immersed in water for The remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. God has told us the how of it. He's told us the why of it. He's told us that we're doing this for the purpose 
of receiving forgiveness of sin. He tells us the consequence of it that we're added to his church, the body of Jesus Christ, one of the precious promises that Peter reminds us of in this passage. And a little tear sometimes wells up and a little choke in my throat sometimes. And I think about these young people obedient to the gospel. Or someone, an older person, obeys the gospel of Christ. All the courage that that takes to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ, it is a profound thing that takes place. Sin is being purged. There is a sure way to heaven, brethren. And it involves the purging from sin, whereby we receive upon obedient faith in Christ, repentance of sin, confession of faith in Jesus Christ, immersion in water for the remission of sins. And so I sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. There's a sure way to heaven, and it involves purging of sin. God's given the provision. God purges from sin, and we have confidence and knowledge of that. There's also an important aspect about this passage you and I need to study. Practical living. And you and I know, and we've heard enough lessons and studied enough Bible to realize that it's one thing to become a Christian, it's another thing to live the Christian life. And our subject tonight is the sure way to heaven. And that sure way has got to include Christian living. That even though I've come to understand the will of God and the Word of God and obey it, I've got to live it. And Peter understands that point as he gives our text tonight beginning in verse 5. I'd like to study a little bit with you. We've come to call these seven Christian graces. And they are beautiful passages, beautiful graces. And I'll study them very briefly, though they deserve a sermon, each one on their own. By verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Let me talk about the word faith for a minute. For God's people, faith is a great word. It means confident trust in God, conviction in the Word of God, obedience to the will and the Word of God, trust in the promises of God. It is a rich, full word. It's not to be hybridized by modern religious thinkers. It is to be taken in its context and taken in its totally as totality as God has given it to mean what God meant for it to mean. And so he says, now you take your faith and you add this to it. Here's sort of stepping stones for greater Christian living. The sure way to heaven is going to include some stepping stones here. And I don't believe that he has reference to the idea of just piling one on top of another. But he's saying, when you have this, add this to your faith and add that to your faith. And use these as stepping stones to greater levels of spiritual maturity. And the first one he gives, as I suggest, is virtue. I think of courage when I see virtue. Probably more accurately, the passage is talking about moral fiber. Have the moral fiber, the backbone. To live virtuously. 
Have courage. Put a hickory stick in your back. And don't bend when the culture and when the friends want you to compromise. You got a sycamore stick in your back. You're not going to bend because you got virtue. You got moral fiber. And even though there's the temptation to go this way and to go that way, you have courage because you've added to your faith a big step up in Christian maturity, virtue. But add to virtue, knowledge. You're going to have to know what to do and what not to do. And you can have all the resolution in the world of doing the right thing, but until you know what is right, you're not going to be able to do it. It's all going to be up for grabs as to what is right and what is wrong in your mind. You're going to have to learn and study the Word of God. You're going to have to grow in knowledge in order to really see what God wants you to do as opposed to what God does not want you to do. And and when you know what is right, then you have the virtue and the fiber, the character to stand up and do what is right and live the kind of message that is right. And all that knowledge turns on the Word of God knowing it and understanding it properly, which is a lifelong pursuit. Your translation probably has temperance. Mine has self-control. It is an ability to abstain from what you should not have and the ability to use in moderation what you can have. Self-control. It is beyond, uh, it is to control oneself, one's self-will, so as not to be involved in desires and impulses, but be able to say no to those which come along our way. Self-control is a big thing, isn't it? For an individual, for a Christian, a Christian must have self-control. We've got to learn that. We've got to be able to have self-control to the point where we can say no to certain things. And even the things we can have, we've got to have in moderation. And so we've got to be very careful to grow and develop, and God is concerned about that. And so the step up from knowledge would be to have the kind of self-control that God is writing about and describing for us in the Bible. Oh, but here's a great word. You may have patience here. I have steadfastness. Steadfastness means that I'm going to endure trying circumstances successfully. I'm going to be very positive about it. I'm going to endure. I'm going to stay with it. It's like being there on the job in the good days and in the bad days. I'm going to keep on keeping on that steadfastness. And even when things seem to not go my way, I'm going to stay with it. The Christian walk of life. Because God has given me proper provision. And God has purged my sins because of my faith. My faithful obedience. And now I'm going to live the Christian walk of life. And this is an important one, godliness, to be more like God every single day, to develop within me that godlikeness disposition where I try my best to think the way he thinks, to act the way he would have me to act, to live the kind of life he would have me to live. And I'm building precept upon precept, virtue upon virtue, growing in my understanding and in my Christian life day by day. My translation has brotherly affection. You may have brotherly kindness there. It means the same thing. 
I really am concerned about the other. I'm concerned more about the other than I am concerned about myself. The city of Philadelphia that gets its name, brotherly love, really bespeaks my life as I'm growing and maturing and becoming more like the kind of life that Jesus wants me to live and have and be. And then I'm working up to the crowning virtue of all, and that's the virtue of love. The ultimate, I suppose, emotion for the child of God, to learn to love God supremely, to develop that in my character. As they were said, see how they love one another. Well, I've got to love God and love Christ more than I love this world. And in turn, I develop that particular quality and character of life. Now, let me see. Look at these seven Christian graces. Which one of these can you not do? As I look at them, I see I can do them all. Is there one here I can leave out? Maybe I can look at it that way. Maybe I can leave one of these out and still be pleasing in the sight of God. No. One builds on the other. And there's a logical connecting link one to the other. I can't leave any out. And every one of them is doable. I need to live the practical Christian life. I need to incorporate them in my life, and I need to cultivate them day by day. Now, here's a young person, obeys the gospel of Christ, but yet their life is taken from them, and sometimes it happens that way. We can be rather young in years and tender in life, and life can be over for us. We never think that way. When we're young, we think we're going to live forever, but we're not. It could be life leaves us early, and we go on to life's other side. And that person never really had the opportunity to develop and to grow in these virtues. They didn't have years and years to grow and cultivate them. They cultivated what they could. They obeyed the gospel. And they grew as much in virtue as time would allow them to grow. And they grew in knowledge as much as they could grow in the short life that they had. Now, here's a person, though, that's been a Christian, let's say, 30 years. Been a Christian a long time. God's blessed them with a healthy life. Been around a good long time. How have they grown? in these virtues. Why, someone who's lived the Christian life 20, 30, 40, perhaps 50 years, surely would have grown in virtue and grown in knowledge and used that time to cultivate and incorporate into their life self-control and grow stronger in steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Because they've been living the Christian life all this time. What a wonderful opportunity God's given us. And we ought to be thankful in every prayer. Lord, thank, 
Thank you for the health that I have. I may not have perfect health, but I have health. And thank you for the life that you've given me. And thank you for giving me one more day of life because I want to be more like you. I want to be more godly in my life. And I want to be more kind to my brothers and sisters in Christ and to those around me. I want to grow in love. Give me another opportunity, Heavenly Father, that I may grow in the Christian graces and thus be on the sure way to heaven. Now, God's done everything that we need with regard to our eternal life. He's given us all the information. The provision has been given. And a wonderful thing has happened in our obedience to the gospel of Christ. Sins have been purged away. And he's explained to us exactly what it means, the sure way to heaven, about living the Christian life, how important it is to incorporate these particular matters in this instance in my life. And somebody says, well, I just can't do it. Who told you that? I guess it was Satan that put that thought in your heart and in your mind. Because he says here, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Did you notice that he uses the word diligent there in verse 10? Now, your translation may have it again in verse 5. The same word is used in verse 5, but my translation used a different word there, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Same thought. In fact, I have that phrase circled. To supplement your faith with virtue and so on. And then in verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Same idea. And I have that word circled. And what I probably need to do here, and I haven't done it yet, but I need to draw a line from verse 5 all the way over there to verse 10. Because he's telling me twice, you make sure you do this. Don't allow this to slip by you because of apathy being so busy you can't get around to it, why being unconcerned, lazy, indolent, don't let that happen. You be diligent. Make every effort to make this election sure so that you can be on the sure way to heaven. Make sure you understand that we can fall from this And we can lose this wonderful quality through nearsightedness. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. But the individual who will be obedient to the gospel and live the gospel life will find entrance into that eternal kingdom. Verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you do these things, there's a sure way to heaven. Read the Word of God that God has given to you and put it into practice. Be purged from your sins by obedience to the gospel of Christ. And live the Christian life as outlined before you in the Word of God.
and I beg you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.